Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Today is October 13th, and welcome to Deep Well Astrology Podcast. There's so much air in the celestial atmosphere. Sun and Venus near conjunct in Libra, along with Mercury. The Moon and Mars in Gemini, Saturn in Aquarius. That's six of the seven visible planets. Jupiter is hanging on retrograde at one degree Aries before it travels back to Pisces. If I was teaching or leading a group astrology class, much like we do at Kindred Explorers, one of our thought prompts would be around the air elemental. How do you feel about air? How does it resonate with your personal chart composition? And how do you resonate with others who have a strong air element or emphasis? Now is a wonderful time for those reflections as we are being offered by the outer celestial movement a chance to be in relationship with air. To be more specific, you might look at the air houses of your astrological chart, especially the houses representing Libra and Gemini. Right now, I use the whole sign house method for looking at charts. So one shortcut, if you want to use this house method for finding your zodiacal houses, is if you start from your rising sign, you can count forward. So if Taurus represents your first house, Gemini would represent your second house, Cancer your third, and so on. Last week's podcast spoke to the themes of giving and receiving from a Venus and Libra perspective. For all you Libra Venus people, that is where Venus is right now. So it's really nice to go back to that, even if you're not a Venus and Libra person. If you're listening to this, going into the all the way up to about Scorpio season in October 2022, it might be relevant for you to listen. For the next two episodes, though, I'm going to open up the Taurus and Scorpio axis, partly because that's where we are headed, and that's also the axis of our upcoming eclipse cycle. So I'll be honest here, although eclipses can get a heightened focus of being discombobulated or hectic or high impact, or in ancient times, traditionally, in these old school ways, it's really a bad omen. I think it actually depends on where we are in ourselves psychologically with volatility and change. Some of us are more akin to that because it's in our chart natally. And for others who are more steady or fixed, change, volatility, eclipse season can feel really discombobulating. So personally, I actually find that every eclipse catalyzes evocative, often generative, along with some potentially destructive energies. I want to name that I have several Scorpio placements. So, you know, depending on what you've got in Scorpio and your 
you're in tune with that regenerative process, you might have a different, you know, resonance with eclipses. So when you think of the words change, catalyzing, new beginnings, and major endings, how do you personally feel? Radical change is another key word. If you can take yourself back to a time where entertainment, storytelling, omens, and reflections were all placed onto the sky, you can see why eclipse times were really a time of heightened anticipation, awareness, of emotionality. If that's what you were looking at to frame your decisions and frame your point of reference, eclipses were a major event. So I want everyone to think about that and why that carries forward through time. A lot of us are removed from going outside and being with the sky every night. So it doesn't feel as strong unless we're someone who taps back into the history or the astronomy or the astrology of the time. So you might just think how radical that was probably for people in the past looking at an eclipse. It was somewhat rare. But remember, depending on where we live, we may or may not be in the position to actually visibly witness an eclipse. In 2022, we have two lunar eclipses and two solar eclipses. The two partial solar eclipses are on April 30th, already passed, and October 25th, coming up. And two total lunar eclipses, May 16th, already passed, and November 8th, 2022. So that's the eclipses for our year. Astrologically, many folks look to the axis in the chart where the eclipses are happening, and we'll speak to that as the axis in the chart receiving the eclipse energy, or areas of major new beginnings and major endings. The north node is located at that place where things are increasing or translated into new beginnings. The south node is about decrease, losses, or endings. And all this to say the North Node right now, today, is at 13 degrees Taurus. And this will be the approximate place and degree of our partial solar eclipse on October 25th. So if you look to 13 degrees Taurus, if you have anything around 13 degrees, a little bit before, a little bit after of the fixed signs, so Aquarius, Leo, Scorpio, Taurus, you're going to be feeling that angularity of the eclipse. Also look to the Taurus section of your chart for a continuing story of an increase or new beginnings that were set into motion at the beginning of this year, sometime in the spring. I love this because we can bring that axis into focus from a Venus perspective. As we're looking at Venus, you know, because it'll eventually ingress into Scorpio, as this month continues. So as we look at that axis, that Venus moving into Scorpio and also having the eclipse in Scorpio and Taurus, we can look at those charts or look at those houses in our chart. So what do you know about the signs of Scorpio and Taurus? 
And I want to start first with the thought, how are they similar? So what do you think? What's similar between Scorpio and Taurus? Most basically, both Taurus and Scorpio are fixed signs. And I think another way to think of fixed is the idea of enduring, persevering, or maintaining energy. The fixed modality has gifts of keeping things going. So some people can feel this as an intensity or a focus, again, endurance or maintaining. It'd be a good bet to offer someone with a lot of fixed placements something to maintain or steward. I love the word stewarding. I love the word maintenance. Fixed can be somewhat rigid, and I think that's appropriate for our fixed signs, but I think a gifted way to look at that is something that perseveres over time, that has that lasting power. And both Taurus and Scorpio, as fixed signs, offer that kind of energy. I think it can be nice to start with the similarities of the Taurus and Scorpio axis because it seems that these two axis points can draw many differences to our mind right away. But we have to remember that these two signs are entwined and share in their fixity. Yet, Taurus is a fixed earth sign ruled by Venus, and Scorpio is a fixed water sign ruled by Mars. There's a big difference elementally and planetary ruler-wise. The earth element is about tangible things that we can touch, taste, sense, feel, with our hands, with our senses. It's the sensate. It's the practical. The element of water is about the nonverbal, the energetic or the emotional currents underneath what is often seen or touched as real. True, these things fill each other out because as one of my uh, mentors, Ida Rolf said, you can't have the metaphysical without the physical, so neither would make sense. This contrast could only exist with the presence of both. That is why I often think of the axis of the Scorpio-Taurus axis line as the axis of the tangible and the intangible. You could also substitute the physical and the metaphysical although I think the term metaphysical carries with it way too many cultural projections right now. But think of that as the tangible, the intangible, the physical, the metaphysical. I don't want to imply any hierarchy, though, because they're entwined, they're, they're similar, and they both need each other to define themselves. I also think that one of the key important differences between Taurus and Scorpio, besides the element, is the planetary ruler. For Taurus, this is Venus. For Scorpio, this is Mars. And from a Venusian or Venus-ruled perspective, Venus feels at home or more at home in Taurus than it does in Scorpio, since Scorpio is a Mars domicile. 
or Mars, you know, at home isn't quite as at home in a Venus sign. It's the same thing for Venus. So when Venus travels through a Martian ruled sign like Scorpio, it's a guest. It's a guest in that house, but it's not its home base. When we think of it as a visitor, we can think of it as anytime Venus travels to a guest house, it can be itself, but only in its, you know, there's some restrained parameters, just like if we were traveling to someone else's home. So it's really nice right now to be speaking of Venus in Taurus as Venus is also right now in Libra, which is its other home. So Venus travels around the Zodiac when it gets to Libra, it's at its home base. And we'll say when it gets to Taurus, it's also at its home base. So we think of Venus having two different houses it feels very comfortable in. So we'll start with this Venus in Taurus and look at that topic of giving and receiving. Since Taurus is one of Venus's home spot, it feels comfortable there. So if you have a Venus in Taurus, it's a comfortable place. What do you think this Venus might desire? And what do you think would feed or sustain or nourish a Venus in Taurus? Just from what you know so far. So grabbing onto one of our earlier words, You'd be correct in saying the tangible, the earthy. This is a really overarching umbrella thought for a Venus in Taurus. It's earth elementally based. So if you put that with desire, things that would really feel good to nourish it, things that you can taste, touch, smell, get your hands in or on, may be very good bets for this. A Venus in Taurus may love the sensual, the opulent. Taurus rules the neck and the throat, so things like scarves, necklaces, singing, opera, choir, poets, good conversation, elements centering around the throat chakra might be things that could either nourish that Venus in Taurus, so you might be growing towards that nourishment, or it might be something that you're well aware of already. Items of tangible and consumable beauty can really feed a Venus in Taurus. Food and its taste and arrangement, body work, massage, facials, or relaxing in a bath. If you have a Venus in Taurus or someone you know does, get to know their favorite senses. Is it sound, smell? Taste or touch is one of those very developed or more enjoyable than another. You might consider feeding each of the senses or making sure to keep your sensual world filled with pleasing options. If smell is cherished, you may consider perfumes or essential oils. A Venus in Taurus has connection also with tangible beauty. That may manifest in jewelry, like in necklaces, earrings, things like that. Makeup or fashion. Beautiful gardens or landscaping or time spent in a well-manicured natural setting. 
like tea time in an orchard or a vineyard, or like a vineyard tour even, may be really appealing. Sensual pleasure is another way to relate to a Venus in Taurus. So if you have a Venus in Taurus or know someone who does, what else can you think about giving or feeding yourself in honor of this Venus desire? On this topic of giving and receiving, I think getting to know and respect our senses and our sensory awareness is a big deal for the Venus and Taurus person. And as you're feeding your Venus and Taurus, remember the senses and remember sensuality is a key. If you have a Venus and Taurus and you live in a noisy, understimulating or overstimulating environment, or the smell in some way is overwhelming, this may be a challenge for your Venus, even if everything else in your chart is you know, really strong or really bolstering to the environment. That Venus in Taurus is going to be sensitive to the sensory. So to spiral out a little bit, if you were thinking about gifting yourself or someone else who has a Venus in Taurus, what would you offer? What would you offer yourself or someone else? So in terms of gifting or giving, the first thing you can think about is a sensorily pleasing environment. An environment where the senses are either stimulated or soothed in a beautiful or harmonious or Venusian way. And this takes a little bit of getting to know ourselves or someone else. So if you don't really know that about someone else, you might ask them. You may notice what they find beautiful. You might notice what sense they really rely on. For some, this pleasing sensation could be all about texture. Texture is a really wonderful sensory pleasure for the skin. So gifting yourself or someone with their favorite sensory treat or consumable is a wonderful way to enjoy the tangible. Also, Taurus being a fixed or enduring sign may really enjoy having a longer tangible project to invest in that will manifest in something over time, like gardening, planting trees, landscaping, building a home, or building a financial wealth portfolio. Money is a tangible thing. You can use it to move in the world. Maybe also like baking cakes or starting a jewelry business or fermenting, taking up painting, or beginning a process, or being with someone who has a Venus and Taurus and letting them know that you're in it for the long haul. And even if you're just doing a a poetry exchange, or you're having conversations over time. It's that commitment to something that flourishes and changes over time. And that really speaks to the fixity of a Venus in Taurus. Also, when you think about gifting yourself for another, you might think of what kind of, you know, sensory based processes they may like. 
think of it in a process-oriented way. So slow cooking might appeal to some people or home brewing or something that, you know, it takes a year to process. Jam making, salsa making, things that you can work on together. It might be fun to have a a gathering where people are all fermenting something or putting together something that will take you through a season. You'll check with your Venus and Taurus person again to just check with their sensory needs. And depending on whether they're more introverted or extroverted, this process over time could be, you know, I even like this idea of exchanging letters or exchanging quotes or poetry over time. It just really depends on how outward or inward that Venus in Taurus is. And a lot of that does depend on the house that your Venus is in. So if you've got a Venus in Taurus in the first house, that's going to speak to different energies than a Venus in Taurus that's in the fourth house. Fourth house having to do more with home and environment and ancestry. And the first house having more to do with identity and the way that someone shows up in the world. So very different spheres of the chart. And finally, I love this so much because in a world that seems to steward people rushing, hurrying, and doing things half-assed, we can really nourish that Venus and Taurus in ourselves or others by offering time to slow down, to not have to hurry, to spend an afternoon in pleasure, to swim, to put your feet in the water, to take your time. The gift of time and the gift of slowing down may be so nourishing to our Venus and Taurus. It might be just what we need for these hurried times. So let's all Venus and Taurus people rejoice and remember the gift that we offer to others of taking our time with slowing in and often helping other people to remember to sit in the pool of sensual pleasure. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.